At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Greg Peterson Experience on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. It is hour number two of the Greg Peterson Experience right here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Going to be hitting on a lot of college basketball this hour and then in the final hour once we wind up hitting midnight pacific 3 a.m eastern it's going to mean that everyone is experiencing sunday and that'll mean that everyone is experiencing an nfl sunday going to give you guys picks and analysis on everything that we're going to be seeing on the gridiron for a wonderful sunday in the next hour in this hour a little bit more college basketball base going to be hitting on a couple props as well we're going to be doing a little bit of this and that but you just still have one college football game that is looming, BYU and USC. BYU just wound up getting a touchdown, so with 324 remaining, this total has officially went over the closing number of between 64 and 65 and a half. No match as these two teams have a combined 66 on the board. It's 35 to 31, and USC has the ball right around their own 43-yard line with a first and 10, 320 remaining, so... We are going to be keeping our eyes on this. I'll let you know how this winds up wrapping up. And UCLA and Cal has now one final. UCLA gets the win, gets the cover, but the under winds up not coming through because on fourth and goal inside their own one-yard line, Cal, rather than doing a conventional quarterback sneak because they tried it once before, it didn't work. They didn't want to go back to it. They instead did some random play-action pass. I have no idea what they were thinking. And, well, they came up snake eyes. So if you want to be having the over in this one, you can blame the Cal coaching staff, and you're rightfully doing so because that was a very bad play call so that one winds up going under with a count of 42 to 14 but when it comes to back 12 basketball as well it's been a little bit of a calamity for a lot of these teams we're gonna have some interesting college basketball games that are gonna be coming up for Sunday including a Pac-12 conference basketball game in November I can't remember this ever happening before actually there is that random China game that we wound up seeing a few years ago for some reason, the Pac-12 is going to China for a few years and playing games out there. That did not wind up happening the last few years, but you always wound up having that random one. I think Colorado wound up playing against like Arizona State a few years ago. I think that they counted it as like a non-conference game too to just make it even more strange. But I mean, really past that, I don't remember ever having a conference game. We'll hit on that in a minute. But when it comes to the state of affairs out there in the Pac-12, I mean, you've got some teams that may have really been able to come up big for this conference like Arizona for example if you could believe this Arizona and Oregon State in the Pac-12 media poll they were both tied for fourth boy has it been a tale of two different teams Arizona they come out there yesterday they wind up pretty much hitting the over almost all by themselves against Sacramento State they wind up winning the game by north of 50 points it was just a complete and utter bludgeoning they right now look like a top 10 team, not just a top 10 team, but I think that they might be competing for a top five team. If this continues on 105 to 59, they just wind up dismantling Sacramento State. And then you wound up seeing Oregon State, the team I was mentioning a little bit earlier, 
they wind up losing to Penn State in a game in which it wasn't even as close as the final score was. 60 to 45, just an absolutely terrible effort from Penn State. So, I should say, an absolutely terrible effort from Oregon State as Penn State wound up being a one point favorite. And, well, it was 14 points too few because Oregon State wound up looking absolutely terrible. But, taking a look at what we're going to be getting for Sunday. And this is my New York Post play of the day, by the way. I want to making it this Colorado versus Sanford game just because, I mean, how often do you wind up seeing a conference game in November in the Pac-12? But right now, you're seeing Stanford as right around a five and a half inch point underdog. Depends on where you're going to be getting the number. But total is anywhere between 134 and a half and 135. And with Colorado, they've got one of the more unique home court advantages in all of college basketball. At Boulder, you're at elevation. They always say that the mountain road trip that you wind up going on in the Pac-12, that's where you typically play against Colorado and Utah within the same week. That is one of the toughest ones, not just in the Pac-12, but in all of college basketball. And I do think that it's going to be a challenge for a Sanford team that I just don't like what I'm seeing out of them right now. You've been able to have Harrison Ingram look really good for this team. 12 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds. He's able to give you a couple assists. He's been able to do a solid job of being able to shoot the three, but and other than that, who's really been stepping up for Stanford? You've had someone like a Cameron Spencer, for example. He's only been able to give you right in the neighborhood of about six points per game. That has not necessarily been too good. You were hoping that Jaden Delaire would be able to give you a little bit more than what he's been able to. He's been able to chip in there right around 10 and a half points per game. And Spencer Jones, apologize to calling him Cameron Spencer, but Spencer Jones right around six and a half points per game. But you take a look at just this team in general, you've got a lot of guys that are a little bit younger, like an Ezeal Silva to be able to give you right around two assists per game, but he hasn't necessarily been able to step up. And for Sanford, this team is allergic to turning the ball over. I mean, there are a bunch that they are right now turning the ball over darn near 15 times per game. It's one of the worst marks that you're finding in all of college basketball. That has been costly to them. And when you wind up getting into spreads like this, free throw shooting is very important. One tip that I always give anyone that is looking to handicap college basketball, do not forget about free throw shooting. It's of much bigger importance when it comes to college basketball rather than the NBA. Right now, Stanford is 62.9% at the free throw line. 325th out of 358 D1 teams. That is just not going to cut it right there. And when you take a look at Colorado, this is a team that they've been vastly different home to road. Now, a little bit of this is going to be based on the competition that they're playing because in that multi-team event, you are going to be playing a couple of better teams. But when it comes to home games for Colorado, they are shooting 48% from three-point range. Meanwhile, 21.5% away from home. I think that that is a very glaring set. And you've also got Jabari Walker. He is the son of Samaki Walker. This is someone that's saying six foot nine. You may remember he wanted draining. I think it was eight threes in that NCAA tournament game against Georgetown. He's been able to take the next step forward for the team. 14 and a half points, right around eight and a half rebounds. Has versatility, he's able to shoot threes. And then you got along with that, Evan Batty along with Keyshawn Bartholomew. These two guys are combining for 28 points per game. You don't necessarily have one floor general for this team. KJ Simmons has been able to give you right around two and a half assists per game. So he's been able to give you a little bit of contribution there. But when it comes to both of these teams, they both rank in the top 20 nationally with regards to rebound rate. Both of these teams don't necessarily have the world's greatest size, but they have a lot of guys that they just sort of know their role. They're able to contribute. But when it comes to this spot, I do wind up saying Colorado as a nine and a half point favorite. So seeing the line at five and a half, I want to make my New York Post play the Colorado Buffaloes. And also keep in mind with Colorado, 
This is a bunch at last year. Now, this year has been a little bit different, but last year, they were second in all of college basketball in terms of free throw shooting percentage. Number one, that would be Oral Roberts. They shot as a collective 83% at the free throw line thus far this year. When it comes to free throw attempts per game, Colorado, fifth in all of college basketball as well. They're going up against the same for team that, well, discipline has not necessarily been their forte, as you can tell that because they still have Jared Haas as their coach. So they clearly are, I don't even know how he's got a job still, but that has been not necessarily the world's greatest situation. It's a little bit of a better situation with Villanova, though, as you've got a Villanova versus LaSalle game that is going to be going down because I love these Philly six games. You wind up seeing these teams like Villanova wind up going on the road and play true road games. LaSalle certainly has seen better times. You could use Tom Gola going through that door as he wound up leading LaSalle to the 1954 National Championship game, obviously, and has long been gone, but the Explorers are going to be exploring a cover. Anywhere between 18.5 and, and 19 points is what they're getting. And your Talons game is anywhere between 138.5 and 140. And I do think that this is a little bit too far. Now, I don't think that this line is like way out of whack or anything like that. But I personally want him setting Villanova as a 17.5 point favorite. So getting 18.5, even a 19 as I'm seeing right here at Circa. I do think that there's a little bit of value. Because with LaSalle, this is a team that they do a good job of playing some relatively solid positionless basketball. You did have Josh Nickelberry, who was playing at Louisville last year. He came into the program, and he's become the team's top scorer, right around 12.5 points per game. Now you do have a pair of guys that are a little bit undersized, but they're doing a good job on glass. Jack Clark, Christian Ray, both of these guys combining for 16 rebounds per game, right around 20 points as well. And you're able to get out of both of these guys right in the pocket of about 4.5 assists per game as well. So they've been able to step up. Jameer Brickus has been able to chip in there right around 4 assists per game. Now, the big key for this LaSalle team is being able to cut off the three-pointer. As we know, Villanova has a lot of good sharp shooters on their team. But I do feel like with Villanova, this is a squad that they are missing Jeremiah Robinson Earl a little bit. Now, what I will give Villanova credit with is the fact that this is a team that perennially, they don't necessarily do the world's greatest job of being able to generate seals. They always play good man-to-man defense. They always get up in your grill, but they don't necessarily force a lot of seals. They've been doing a little bit of a better job this year. They are generating right around seven and a half seals per game. And you take a look at the way that they don't allow opponents to be able to get those live ball turnovers. Because I do think that there is a little bit of a distinction between if you wind up turning the ball over and it's a live ball turnover versus one that is not a live ball turnover. 3.4 steals per game is what opponents are averaging against them. That's one of the lowest marks in all of college basketball. So they may be able to do a terrific job there. And then you want to be taking a little bit of a look at luck as well. When it comes to Villanova, the big reason why they've currently got two losses, their opponents are shooting as a collective 80.6% at the free throw line. On 358 D1 teams, they are the 353rd with that regard. So that's me putting it to you this way. They've been really, really stinking unlucky with regards to that. And LaSalle, not necessarily the world's greatest free throw shooting team, but where I think that LaSalle is going to be able to hold up is that you've got a Villanova bunch in which you don't have a single guy giving you more than 5.8 rebounds per game. That would be Jermaine Samuels. Now Brandon Slater has been able to do a nice job shooting 95% the free throw line, over 58% from three-point range. As we know, that's probably not going to be too sustainable as Villanova's collective shooting about 43.5% from three-point range, so they've certainly been able to hit those shots. And then you've got Kong Gillespie, someone that just throughout his career has always been very efficient. This year, he's got an assist turnover ratio north of three. He's been able to get the team 16 points per game. But when it came to that game against UCLA, something that was very glaring is in the final 10 minutes of regulation along with overtime, it was officially the final 14 minutes and 32 seconds. 
He did not wind up having a single point in that game. I do think that LaSalle is going to be able to do a halfway decent job down low. I'm not saying that you should be taking LaSalle on the money line or anything like that. I think the Villanova wins this game, but wins this game by double digits. But getting between 18 and a half to 19 points, I think is a good spot here for one of the biggest home underdogs that we've seen all season long. And we've got a lot of college basketball that's going to be coming up this Sunday. We're going to be touching upon more of these games next. Right here on the Greg Peterson Experience on VEASAN, the Sports Bank Network. Hoops Peterson himself on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back. This is this segment of the Greg Peterson Experience is brought to you by Zen Nicotine Pouches. It is a fresh way to enjoy nicotine without the baggage of cigarettes, dip, or vape. No more smelling like an ashtray, no more spit cups, no more batteries to charge, or leaky equipment to deal with. Zen Nicotine Pouches are smoke-free, spit-free, and available in 10 varieties experiment wintergreen citrus and many more and for your convenience each variety comes in two strengths so that way you can easily find the satisfaction level that is best for you zinn america's number one nicotine pouch is available in one or a thousand locations nationwide meaning that it's never been easier to find your zinn so head over to zinn.com slash find you'll locate a store near you that is zyn.com slash find and warning this is a product that contains nicotine and nicotine is an addictive chemical as we are back here on the greg peterson experience and you're currently experiencing some college basketball previews for this sunday we're going to be hitting on a lot of nfl don't you worry in the final hour it is going to be very nfl heavy and i'll also refresh the new york post play that i wound up giving out in the last segment as well i know that many of you guys wind up always asking for that but I have no fear that will be refreshed. And if you're listening to this via podcast forum on VEASAN Bets Bets, you're able to rewind on that and you're able to catch all the great shows that we do here on the Vegas Stats and Information Network. But we've got some big games that are going to be going down in Orlando Friday on this Sunday. And we've got one that is going to be going down a little bit towards the AM. You've got North Texas versus Drake, which is a 7.30 game, which I'll hit on that in a second, 7.30 a.m. Pacific. But Kansas-Iona, I think, is really the most intriguing game out of all of these because you've got an Iona team that they wound up getting a very nice win against Alabama. They were able to have a few wins earlier in the year against teams that I think have a good chance to be able to make the NCAA tournament. The win against Harvard was big. Appalachian State, I don't think, is going to be able to win the Sun Belt, but they represented the Sun Belt last year in the NCAA tournament, and here they are as right around 13 and a half point underdogs in the spot with a total of 141. And when it comes to Kansas, I had to sell on them a little bit more. And I feel like we're just not giving Iona their due. Slick Rick Patino has himself a very good team. And when it comes to what you're able to get out of this Iona team, they're just very balanced. Someone like a Quinn Slesnitsky is a guy that really knows his role. He's able to give you right around like nine points per game. The transfer from Louisville has been able to do a solid job of being Someone who's six foot nine and is able to pop some threes. You take a look at Kansas, and ever since Jalen Wilson wound up getting back into the fold, he hasn't necessarily been reacclimated. He was able to give the team 12 points, had a team high eight rebounds per game last season, but he and David McCormick need to do a little bit more download. McCormick was picked as a Big 12 All Conference player in the preseason, and where has he been? Nine points, eight and a half, or five and a half rebounds per game. Certainly not cutting it. And then you've got Nelly Jr. Joseph, 
who I don't think he's better than David McCormick, but right now he's playing better than David McCormick. You take a look at this guy, and he's been terrific. 15 and a half points, nine boards. He's able to give you two blocks. I mean, he just does everything for this team. And then the Iona Gales have done a great job of being able to bring in some transfers as well. Tyson Jolly is someone that while he was at SMU a few years ago, was a double-digit scorer. He's popping in there 14 points, five boards, and when it comes to Iona as a team, out of their top four scores, three of them are shooting at least 47% from three-point range, and all four of them shooting at least 34.6%. I think that that's big. When it comes to blocks per game, Iona doing a great job down low. They are eighth in all of college basketball with seven blocks per game. This is a Kansas bunch, though, that they do have O'Shea Obaji. He's been able to give the team 25.5 points per game. I would argue that he's playing at an All-American level. I need to see a little bit more from Remy Martin as well. There were even concerns in the preseason that he wasn't necessarily doing the world's greatest job on defense. You can tell that Bill Self was a little bit distraught with his play. I think that that's the best way to be able to put it. So I do take a look at this spot, and I feel like people are just continuing to sleep on this Iona team. I don't think that Iona is going to be able to pull off the win outright. Don't get me wrong here. Don't wind up taking a money line on Iona. And Quite frankly, you can't right now. A lot of places don't wind up putting up money lines until the AM, so you probably don't have that option anyway. But with that said, with Iona, I do think that this is a good spot to be able to take a gob ton of points with them. I want to setting this more as an 11.5 point line. This opened up 14.5. We've seen it come down a little bit, but I still think that there's value there. And with Iona, very good defensive team. Set this all at 135.5, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under. I want to mention this a little bit earlier. I'll hit on this because... There aren't many other people that are going to be able to hit on this because this game is really, really stinking early. It's one of the blessings and curses when it comes to these non-conference tournaments is that you've got a 7.30 a.m. Pacific, 10.30 a.m. Eastern tip. So if you're looking for a primer for your NFL Sunday, you've got Drake and North Texas. And when it comes to this line, it wound up opening up at 5.5. We've seen it drop in a lot of places at 5. And I like the fact that it dropped because... I was personally taking a little bit of a look at Drake at five and a half, but that was the line that I wanted making it. Now at five, I feel much more secure about this Drake play. They're going to be going up against North Texas with a total between 126 half and 127. But when it comes to Drake, they wound up running into an Alabama team that you just didn't want to catch Alabama at that time. They had just lost to Iona. You knew that Nados was going to have his team up. He's one of the best coaches in all of college basketball. But you know who's been the best coach against the spread in all of college basketball ever since he wanted coming into the Drake program? Yeah, that's right, Darren DeVries. He's been able to cover 65% of his games as coach of Drake. I mean, it is absolutely incredible what he's been able to do. This Drake team is literally a cover machine. And you take a look at what you're able to get out of Drake, just a whole bunch of guys that know their role. How about five different players giving you more than nine points per game? Draymond Murphy has really been the headliner as of right now, 14.7 rebounds, but Roman Penn is able to give you four and a half assists. Shaquan Hemphill, he wound up being out for much of the season before returning for the NCAA tournament. He's their number six scorer right now, and he's right now giving you right around eight points and seven and a half rebounds per game. You wind up bringing in someone like an Ao Akunwoli, who was able to be solid at Oma, and right now he's an afterthought for the team. So this team has really good depth. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side for North Texas, and I do think that the loss of J- Davion Hamlet certainly was big for this North Texas team. You can tell that. They just don't have that same zeal that they wound up having last year. Now, 
with North Texas. I do think that you've got one guy in particular, Tyler Perry, who's able to light it up. 17 and a half points per game. The guy is right now shooting 52% from three and 86% at the free throw line, but I do think that that's built on sand a little bit. And really past that, you've got one other guy in Aaron Scott who's shooting above 33% for three-point range, but that's because I believe that he's taken four threes this year, and he's knocked down two of them. So very small sample size there. When it comes to this North Texas team, I don't think that they're going to be able to hold up down low either. You've got Thomas Bell. He's been a versatile six-foot-six combo player, 14 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds. He's been able to shoot right around 78% at the free throw line himself, and we know this with North Texas. They are going to slow the game down. They are very well coached. Grant McCaslin has done a good job of being able to implement his just dirty defensive style just get in there, get rebounds. Everyone sort of has their role. They do everything so well, and they've done a good job of being able to prevent second chances. They're giving up right around six offensive rebounds per game. That is one of the top marks in all of college basketball. But what also has me concerned, this is a Drake team in which everyone out there on the floor is able to shoot threes. They are 269th in all of college basketball and three-point shooting percentage. Now, they don't give up a lot of clean looks from three to their credit as well. They are allowing the third fewest three-point shooting attempts in college basketball as well. But I do think that Drake is going to be able to find a way. This is a team that is a machine. They're very well coached. So I take a look at Mr. DeVries. Now that we've gotten the hook off of this, now that we're getting a straight five, I think that this is a very good spot to be able to take a look at the Bulldogs of Drake. I'm willing to lay a five here. When it comes to this total, when you wind up having games like this where you think it's going to be like a five, six, even like a seven, occasionally a four-point game, you've always got to be layering in their late game felling as well. When it comes to your total, that is what I wound up doing in this case, which is why I am on a 131.5. When it comes to my total, what you're seeing right now across a lot of these boards is between 126.5 and 127. So taking a look at the over over there as well. And then what I think is really going to be a fascinating one as well. And we've seen this line already move a little bit. You probably want to jump on this before it moves anymore. That would be the Dayton versus Belmont game. When it comes to Belmont, they open up a three and a half point favorite. You're finding at best a four right now. I'm seeing a few fives populate as well. So there is clearly been money coming out on Belmont. And it's just a case of who is the real Dayton. Dayton has been one of the more intriguing teams of all college basketball this year because they lost on their home floor to UMass Lowell, Austin P and Lipscomb. And yet they knocked off Kansas on a neutral court two days ago. So will the real Dayton please stand up? And I think what we wound up seeing from Dayton the last two days, not necessarily representative of who they are. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Belmont team, and you've got a guy, Nick Mazuzinski, who's saying six foot eleven. He has been a guy that's been able to shoot threes in the past. Certainly that wound up waning on him last year. He wound up shooting like 10% from three. It was just unearthly bad, but he's able to do a great job down low. And then you've got one of the more versatile players in all of college basketball that is able to do a great job of being able to stuff the sad sheet in Grayson Murphy. Grayson Murphy, giving the team eight points, five rebounds, three steals. I mean, the guy does everything. If you need him to sell hot dogs at the hot dogs, and I'm sure that'll do that as well. I mean, I absolutely love these guys. And then for Belmont as well, someone like a Jacoby Wood is able to give you double figures at any given time. Meanwhile, for Dayton, I just don't like what I see from this team with regards to being able to take care of the ball. Nearly 15 turnovers per game. Elijah Weaver has come in from USC. He's been able to give the team a little bit of something, but it's just one of these spots in which I think that they're going to be a little bit careless. Belmont is not a team that they necessarily rip the ball away on steals, but they're always very efficient on the offensive end. They do a good job of being able to look for two-point shots, 
and Dayton is a team that they don't necessarily do a great job with their interior defense. So I take a look at Belmont. I think that you've got great value here. I would be willing to lay north of a touchdown here. So we're going to be taking a look at that, and we're going to be taking a look at some more college basketball next right here on VSIN, the Sports Bank Network. You're experiencing Hoops Peterson himself on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Get an extra helping of football with Madden Holiday Madness. Play for free in three different fantasy football contests and compete all Thanksgiving weekend for a share of $15,000 in total cash prizes. Head over to DraftKings.com slash EA Madden now to get in on all the action and EA Sports. It's in the game. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. It is a Greg Peterson experience and it is myself, Greg Peterson, who's got you until 1 a.m. Pacific. That would be in terms of Eastern Time, 4 a.m. And we've got you covered all day long on what is going to be a tremendous NFL Sunday and it could not be made possible without the guys behind the scenes. My man, Nick, doing an absolutely terrific job. You've got Mikhail. You've got Wyatt, our wonderful producer. Oliver always does a great job. List goes on and on. Everyone contributing over here at VEASAN. They are the best of the business. Without them, you would not be hearing my wonderful voice, and you would not be seeing my face. I'll give a little bit more credit to the voice than the face on this one. But with that said, Without the the guys doing all that they do, you wouldn't be experiencing this programming. And they worked all through Thanksgiving. They worked through a bunch of holidays. They wound up doing all that because they love what they do and they do an absolutely terrific job. So a big thank you to them and being able to make all this possible. I've got the easy job sitting up here and talking. And what is a little bit more difficult is trying to find some winners. But you know what? I think that we've got some and I think that this is going to be a really intriguing game as well as you've got on the rotation game number 733-734, the late one between Cal and Fresno State. With Fresno State finding themselves as a road underdog of two points and the total on this game, and we're between 122.5 and 123. Now, I recognize that Fresno State has been absolutely tremendous on defense, and Cal, they are good on offense. Why Mark Fox currently has a job as a power coach in college basketball, I have absolutely no idea, but when it comes to Fresno State, I absolutely love what I saw to this team in their win in a multi-team event in which they wanted to take it down Santa Clara a few nights ago. I think that was like the SoCal Challenge, one of those things. But with that said, what's more important is that Fresno State was able to get a bunch of wins, and they've got a guy in Orlando Robinson that is 7 feet tall. He's able to give you 16 points, 9 rebounds. He shoots threes as a 7-footer as well. Now, Grant Antisevich is going to be a little bit of a counter to that. He's a 6'9 combo player for this Cal team who's been able to pump in their 11.5 points per game. He's been able to shoot in the high 30s throughout his college basketball career from three-point range as well. So you are able to get a little bit of versatility there. But when it comes to Cal, this backcourt is not good at all. Meanwhile, reinforcements are on the way for Fresno State. You wind up seeing someone like Deion Stroud wind up missing the first couple games of the season. He's now back out there. He's in full force. Isaiah Hill, he's able to do some nice things as well. And then we take a look at this Cal team. Jordan Shepard wound up having 27 points in the first game of the season that they wound up playing against UC San Diego. And really past that, he hasn't been able to do a whole heck of a lot ever since then. In the next five games, been averaging more around 11 points per game was never necessarily a great shooter. Why is that Charlotte? He's out shooting 33% for three. Now, I will say, whenever I wind up seeing a guy named Andre, whether that be first or last name, he becomes Andre 3000. So, Andre 3000 Kelly has been able to do a solid job down low. 
for the scout team. 16 and a half points, nine and a half rebounds. So he's been able to do a nice job of being able to contribute there. But when it comes to the interior defense of Cal as well, they rank three and fourth in the country when it comes to blocks per game. So they don't necessarily do a great job of holding up there. When it comes to their three-point shooting defense, 250th in all of college basketball. And they themselves don't take a lot of threes because they don't have a lot of three-point shooters. Mikhail Foreman wanted to coming in a season ago from Stony Brook, and he's just never been able to materialize with this team. Right around four and a half points per game, and it's a very top-heavy team. Anti Savage, Kelly, and Jordan Shepard, who I mentioned, they're the only guys averaging more than seven and a half points per game. Joel Brown has tried to help out a little bit in the backcourt. He's been able to give you in the neighborhood about seven points per game, but this Cal team is right now a candidate for one of the worst out there in the Power Five. Fortunately, Pitt exists, and Pitt wound up losing on their home floor on Saturday to the University of Maryland-Baltimore County by 10 points, and they also lost earlier this year to the Citadel, so right now they might get a little bit of a pass as the worst Power Five team in all of college basketball, but they aren't far from it, and Fresno State, this is a good team, and just in general, I talked about this on my podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, if you're taking a look at so many of these mid-majors out here on the West Coast, they're very good. The middle half of the West Coast Conference is solid. The middle half of the Mountain West is all of a sudden solid with teams like a Fresno State, even a team like a Wyoming. Air Force doesn't look like a co- complete calamity, and that's a win for the conference. I mean, UNLV wound up getting blasted by UCLA, but a lot of teams are going to get blasted by UCLA, including the team we're talking about right now in Cal. I, heck, I would argue that Cal's probably going to lose by more points than what UNLV wound up doing on Saturday. But when it comes to this Cal team, they're just having no faith in them whatsoever. They are very lucky that they wound up getting that win against Southern Utah as well. This team should be 1-5. The only reason why that game wound up going to overtime and then eventually double overtime is because Southern Utah wound up hitting a pair of free throws. They only got credit for one. They couldn't retroactively give Southern Utah the point. So instead of them getting a one-point win in regulation, game goes overtime, then it goes to a second overtime. So you've got that going on, but I do think that this is going to be a total that winds up going over because you've got a Cal team that they don't necessarily do a great job on defense. Now, they play slow, which is helpful, but when it comes to Fresno State, I think that you've got a lot of weapons for this team. I think that they're going to be able to do a great job in this spot. I'm going to be taking Fresno State on the money line. I don't need the two points because I think that Fresno State is going to be able to win this game outright. So we're taking a look at the money line in the spot, and I'm going to be taking a look at an over there. When it comes to a bigger underdog, I think has some value. Not on the money line, but I do think it has some value in general. You've got Ryder, South Carolina, 7-11, 7-12 on the betting board. South Carolina opens up a 17-point favorite. Now you're finding them anywhere between 16 and 16 and a half. Jordan's game is between 144 and 145.5. And, and if you're a Ryder, I think that this is going to be a very good spot because you do have someone that actually used to play in the SEC, make it a little bit of a return trip. Demencio Vaughn. Vaughn last year spent his year at Ole Miss and he had a miserable time. He wound up averaging right around two points per game. Could not wind up getting off the bench. But the season before, while he was at this Ryder program, he was able to chip in there 16 points per game. Shot in the mid-30s from three-point range. Six and a half rebounds. So I think that he's going to be able to have a big game in this one. And when it comes to South Carolina, this team just does not take care of the ball whatsoever. You don't have a single guy giving you more than three assists per game. Jermaine Cousinard has really been the main point guard for this team. But he's not a guy that necessarily shoots it well from three. Not a guy that takes care of the ball. And what is really bad for South Carolina right now is that Mr. Kuznard is giving you five turnovers per game for a team that is committing 17.6 as a collective. I do recognize that South Carolina plays a little bit more up-tempo, but this team is sloppy. Meanwhile, you've got James Reese of fifth. He winds coming in from North Texas. He's been able to chip in there right around 11.5 points per game. He's been able to shoot 48% from three-point range, which has been relatively rock solid, but 
Eric Stevenson, the transfer from Wichita State, doing a good job of being able to generate some steals, but I credit that a little bit more to the fact that the South Carolina bunch has been playing some bad competition rather than anything else. And then you take a look at this Ryder bunch, and what I think is good for the team, Dwight Murray Jr. How about him being a stat sheet sufferer? Came over from Incarnate Word last year, was one of the best players in the conference last year. He's going to be that once again this year. 16 points, 3 assists, 1.3 steals, right around 6.5 boards per game. Guy that shot last year, right around 40% from three-point range. I think that he's going to be able to pick it up a little bit as well. And when it comes to this Ryder team, what they do a good job of is being able to run teams off the arc. Thus far this year, they have given up more threes than they would like. I think that they're going to be able to do a solid job there. I think that they're going to force things to the interior a little bit more. And this is a Ryder bunch in which they've got Aji Aguamo Johnson giving you eight rebounds per game. A little bit of a designated rebounder. Not someone that's going to give you a whole bunch of scoring, but... I think that he's going to be able to hold up for this team. And then you've got Mervin James. He has come in. He's been able to do a good job with right around nine points per game. I think that he's going to be able to contribute in a big way. Now, Ryder, they themselves have had their turnover woes as well. When you take a look at Ryder, they're turning the ball over darn near about 13 times per game. So that's a little bit of an issue. But they do also generate right around eight and a half steals per game. They've been one of the better teams at being able to force turnovers. I think that this is a bad matchup for South Carolina. Now, I don't think that South Carolina winds up losing the game outright or anything like that. But I'd certainly be taking a look at a gob ton of points here with Ryder against a South Carolina team that ever since you wound up having Cinderia Sornwell lead South Carolina to the Final Four. And I do like Frank Martin as a coach as well. I think that he's a quality coach, but ever since then, they just haven't been the same. So we're going to be taking a look at the points here with the Ryder Broncos. And then another team that we're finding as an underdog on the road going up against an SEC team I think is a little bit overvalued. That'd be Wofford versus Georgia. And at, Wofford is actually now the favorite at between one and one and a half points. And you're fighting this total between 140 and 140 and a half. I think that this is relatively right. I want to saying Wofford as a two-point favorite. So I'll be taking a look here. What I like about Wofford is that this is a team that they always play at a slow and controlled pace. They do wind up losing Storm Murphy, but Ryan Larson has been able to do a great job as a very, very wily guard. Someone that's able to shoot over 40% from three-point lines. Last year, shot 45.5% from three. This year, shooting over 50% from three-point range. A guy that's able to give you 11.5 points per game. You got someone like a BJ Mack. They will give you 12 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. And you had a Georgia team that they, once again, are a team that they turn the ball over a whole heck of a lot. You've got a lot of moving pieces. And you got one of the worst coaches in all of college basketball in Tom Crean. I have no idea why Georgia wound up hiring him. I have no idea why they've kept him around. It has been a not good situation, to say the least. Just year in and year out, they commit so many turnovers. I am glad to see that Wofford is a favorite. This is the correct line. I'm willing to lay up to two here with Wofford. When it comes to total, that at 139. You've got a Georgia team that they're just not putting the ball in the basket right now. So that's what we're taking a look at when it comes to Wofford versus Georgia. We've done a good job taking a look at the college basketball betting board these last few segments. Next up, how about if we take a look at the NBA? That's on the Greg Peterson Experience next, right here on Beeson, Esports Bank Network. Hoops Peterson himself on VSN, the Sports Betting Network. The VSN Cyber Monday offer is here right now. When you sign up for our $99 midseason football special, you also receive a $20 credit to the VSN store. Get all of our expert sports betting analysis, insights, and data for the rest of the football season, plus $20. 
You'll be able to buy VEASAN sports betting hats, shirts, mugs, and other great gear. Hurry up. This is a limited time offer, so sign up now for the perfect sports betting holiday gift. That is at VEASAN.com slash subscribe as it is the Greg Peterson experience coming at you from lovely Circa, the sportsbook and resort out here in Las Vegas. We've talked the last few segments a lot about the college basketball betting board that we've got for Sunday. And once we wind up hitting a Sunday out here on the West Coast, so in about 15 minutes, going to be going hard and heavy on the NFL betting board. But we've got to play, pay a little bit of lip service here to the NBA because we have been seeing things wind up going a little bit more topsy-turvy in the NBA. As we know, towards the beginning part of the season, it has been an underpalooza when it comes to the NBA, but you did wind up seeing quite a few overs yesterday, and I do feel like books are starting to adjust a little bit more, along with the players as well, because obviously you wind up having new rules with regards to players not being able to draw fouls and everything like that, and as a result, you've seen the over rate with regards to the NBA rise up to right around 43.5%. You've got 167 unders and earned 28 overs thus far this NBA season, according to covers. But you just take a look at the last seven days, and we have seen a little bit of an uptick when it comes to these overs. You've had 30 overs and 22 unders, which that's right around 57.5%. So you want to be taking note of that and over the last seven days as well. Home underdogs, 14-7 and seven against the spread in the NBA as well. It's something that is usually relatively profitable, whether you take a look at it in the NFL, college basketball. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's something as tried and true as pretty much a story of time that you're going to be able to make some money when it comes to home underdogs. And when you take a look at the slate that we've got for this NBA Sunday, you're going to notice that there are a couple games in which you're really not seeing too many numbers on, like Boston versus Toronto and Sacramento versus Memphis. It's going to be hard to be able to place a bet Overnight with that, you've got a couple injury concerns. You wind up having sometimes a back-to-back. You really don't have it in this ordeal, but whenever you wind up having some question marks, a lot of books, they're going to keep this off the board until the AM or until they just wind up knowing more information in general. But fortunately, the earliest game on the NBA board that does have a line as you've got the Golden State Warriors going up against the LA Clippers with the Warriors finding themselves pretty much across the board as a a 2.5-point favorite. Total game is anywhere to 215 and a half and 216 and a half. And I think that's really just hard to go against the Warriors at this point. I just feel like the Clippers, last few years in general, they've been a little bit overrated. Every single time you think that the Clippers are going to do something great, they wind up giving you just a big giant turd. So that's not necessarily too terrific. And then you take a look at the Golden State Warriors and you got a guy in Steph Curry who's just absolutely lighting the world on fire. Right now, he is leading the NBA with regards to points per game. And even when he's off the floor, the really coming-of-age thing for Golden State has been finding some depth pieces because they've really had to mix and match with having Klay Thompson out for as long as he's been with having injuries to guys like Andrew Wiseman. You needed to be able to find some diamonds in the rough. Being able to bring in someone like an Otto Porter has been able to help them out. But someone like even a Damian Lee, given the team nine points per game, that has been very good for them. Obviously, Curry, he's a guy that makes this engine go, and it's just incredible what we're seeing out of him. I mean, he's shooting 42% from three-point range while taking 13 threes per game. But I mean, even beyond that, someone like a Jordan Poole, who's been able to do a good job of being sort of a number three scorer for this team. With Poole, he's been able to chip in there right around 18 points per game. That has been a good find by this front office of the Golden State Warriors. He was a very late first-round pick a couple years ago. Someone even like a Gary Payton third, who I still remember doing a little bit of a chat with him a few years ago while I was with the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, he's a guy that has really been sort of a journeyman NBA player, and he's been able to come up big in some nice spots for this team. So, I mean, the list goes on and on. It's more than just 
Seth Curry, and also Draymond Green. With Green, you always know what you're going to get out of him. Not necessarily a guy that's going to stuff the stat sheet when it comes to scoring, but he'll give you the rebounds. He'll do a good job of being able to find other guys in sort of good spots, even like a Juan Toscano-Anderson. I mean, this is a guy that a few nights ago wound up having a very big performance when the Golden State Warriors wound up having their double-digit comeback win against the Philadelphia 76ers. So I'm just incredibly impressed by this team, and that's what the Clippers are right now lacking. They've got a very good frontline star in Paul George, who has been performing terrific this year. He's given the team 25.5 points per game. He's been able to do a nice job of being able to dish out right around five assists per game, but you just need a little bit more out of some of these ancillary pieces. Eric Bledsoe. I have no idea why the Clippers didn't heed the advice of the Milwaukee Bucks to just stay away there. He's not necessarily a guy that you're looking at with a lot of efficiency. He doesn't necessarily do a good job of being able to dish out the ball, turns the ball over a little bit too much as well. He just is a big, giant nothing burger, in my opinion. You do have Mr. October and Reggie Jackson, who has been very solid for this team, and it's really sad when you're looking at your number two scorer for a team that's supposed to be Sort of in the hunt for a title, I wouldn't consider them necessarily one of the top title contenders, but they have hopes of being able to contend for a title. And Reggie Jackson is right there, right now their number two scorer. Now Zubac is able to do a nice job down low. Luke Kennard is able to be a nice piece for this team as well. But I just take a look at the Clippers and you tell that they have not done a good job of being able to hit on some of their late first round picks. They haven't done a good job of being able to find diamonds in the rough. So that way, if you do wind up having an injury like with Kawhi Leonard currently being out, you wind up having pop up. They don't necessarily have a plan B. Meanwhile, the Golden State Warriors, it's taken them a little bit, but they've been able to identify that and then some. So I think that that's a big difference. And I think that the Warriors should be able to take this one. Another game that I think is going to be really intriguing for this NBA Sunday, a little bit of a smaller slate. You've only got five games on the board, but this Detroit Pistons versus LA Lakers game, it's something that you got to feel like the Lakers are going to be out and they're going to try to prove something. Question is, are they actually going to be able to do so? Because this is a Lakers team that they're just a bunch I wasn't high on going into the year. I still don't understand why so many people are so high on this team. I mean, LeBron James is absolutely terrific. And the Pistons are the Pistons. They are one of the worst teams out there in the NBA. But when it comes to just what you're able to get outside of your big three in Davis, James, and Russell Westbrook, not necessarily been great. Carmelo Anthony has been a solid shooter for the team. I do give him credit in this advanced age, being able to just keep up with the times, being able to be still a 44% three-point shooter, being a little bit more efficient, willing to come off the bench. That is a credit to him, but I just don't understand why they're not utilizing Malik Monk a little bit more. I mean, he was like the only player that they signed that was below the age of 55, and they wind up pretty much just not utilizing it whatsoever. When they wound up giving him minutes in the Sacramento Kings game, oh, lo and behold, he was actually able to do something. I mean, it's just astounding to me that they haven't been using a little bit more of Malik Monk, someone who has proven in the past that he's able to be a relatively solid player. It's not like this guy has ever been like an all-star or anything like that, but while he was with the Charlotte Hornets, he wound up having a couple solid years. Last two years has always been a double-figure scorer. Last year shot 40% from three, by far his best shooting percentage of his career. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Pistons, and yeah, this is a bad team. No fans are buts about it. Kate Cunningham, you can tell that he's still raw. He's really trying to find himself with regards to just not turning the ball over. That was a big thing that he wound up doing while he was at Oklahoma State, was always able to make those explosive plays. But the reason why I wasn't necessarily too high on Oklahoma State going into the NCAA tournament is that I thought that those turnovers would nip him in the butt in the wrong time, and it certainly did 
Tobias here. And you just take a look at him right now and the efficiency numbers are not there. A lot of it is because he's on one of the worst teams in the NBA. So that means that he has to try to do a little bit of everything, but he does have someone in Jeremy Grant that's able to take a little bit of the load off of him. I like what I've seen out of him being able to give the team 19 points per game. I feel like he's one of the more underrated players and rightfully so, because I mean, just take a look at the team that he plays for in the Pistons. It's not been good. Obviously you've got the reunion of Isaiah Stewart and LeBron James going down in this one, which that always gives you a little bit of intrigue. Hopefully things are not going to be escalated in this game. I think that they're going to be professionals. I think that unless if you wind up seeing a similar situation winding up going down, you're not going to be seeing any sort of kerfuffles. This isn't like baseball where you wind up having a guy throwing at another guy because, oh, 18 months ago, he stared at me the wrong way while he was getting a single or something, but it certainly is something that you ought to be taking note of. But what I do like for the Pistons as well is Sadiq Bay. Bay was able to do a solid job while he was at Villanova. He's coming to the NBA, and he's been a rock-solid player. And you just take a look at the way that these two teams wound up playing in that game, in which you did wind up seeing the little bit of a kerfuffle. And I do think that it is going to have the Pistons with a little bit more motivation as well. I take a look at the Lakers, and I think that they should be able to win this game outright, but laying double figures here is not something that I would want to do just because you want to be taking a look a little bit past the analytics of Satchi and just taking a look from a motivational spot. Obviously, the Lakers are always going to stand up for LeBron James, but the Pistons are now able to rally around Isaiah Stewart, someone that, from all accounts, I've always been told is one of the nicest guys that you're ever going to meet. I don't know that for a fact, but I've been told that, but you do take a look at the Pistons team, and they've actually been able to get a little bit more bench production as well. Someone like a Diallo has been able to step up for this team. You do want to note that Frank Jackson is questionable, but it seems like he's going to give it a go with his ankle injury. So the Pistons are getting about as close to full staff as humanly possible as well. So I do think that this could be a good chance to be able to take some points. As I always advise when it comes to betting the NBA, you probably want to be looking in-game. You'll probably be able to find a little bit of a better number, but that's where I'll be taking a look at for this NBA Sunday. But Coming up next, bigger than an NBA Sunday is an NFL Sunday. We're going to be going hard and heavy at the board next, right here on the Greg Peterson Experience, right here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. <laughs> 